Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com/acast code acast. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Liscove. And this week for Felicity Friday, we have Michael Tedder. He's an entertainment writer. He's written uh, articles for Esquire, The Ringer, Stereo Gum, Variety, along with many others. So he's coming on for episode 207, Getting Lucky, where we'll talk about how sad it is that Felicity finds a dog and then has to kill it by the end of the episode. Uh, but that being said, the second half, half of the episode is an interview I was able to get with uh, Greg Grunberg, who plays Sean on the show. And we got to talk about his relationship with JJ uh, over the years. They go way, way back. Uh, all the stuff that he's been in for JJ, as well as obviously um, working on Felicity and the character of Sean. So stick around for that after my episode with Michael Tedder. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iscove. And with us today is Michael Tedder, an entertainment writer for Esquire and The Ringer and Stereo Gum, Variety, and, and many other publications. Uh, we're lucky enough to have him to come on today for the episode, Getting Lucky, uh, episode 207 of Felicity. Um, thank you for being here, Michael. You're very welcome. <laughs> so... Uh, Um, I wanted to uh, just rewind for a quick sec and and ask, you know, where were you in 1999 and uh, how did Felicity come into your life? Well, like fellow illustrious guest and friend of the pod, Freelander, mm -hmm. I, in the late 90s, was attending journalism school at the University of Missouri, Columbia. Uh, you're used to the question, so I'll answer it right at the top. Columbia is between St. Louis and Kansas City, and straight in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> or I would say the Midwest. 
And yeah. it's the type of area that you powerful Hollywood TV writers refer to <laughs> as the flyover states. We do. We do. <laughs> um, yes. And actually, in 1999, I was not watching Felicity just yet. It was kind of weird because I was born and raised in Orlando, Florida, and I went to college. And when I was in, or growing up in Orlando, I watched like Seinfeld and The Simpsons. But for the first couple years of college, I didn't really watch TV regularly. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of started watching The Daily Show, and that was it. Like I was just really busy with class, or I was always seeing shows or hanging out with my friends. And maybe I was Mr. Pretentious College because, like, I only watch independent films by Quentin Tarantino. I don't watch all of it. But, sure, sure. Uh, you know, uh, I was kind of an awkward, somewhat nerdy kid who was hit or miss when it came to dating. And I had friends who were similarly of that nature. Now, one day, my friends Eric and Dan were like, there's a show. It's called Felicity, but really we call it Noel. It's about how Noel is this awesome dude that Felicity should be dating, but instead she dates anti-Noel. And I was like, I don't know, whatever. It's like, it's an excuse to hang out with your friends. And they sold me by uttering these, this beautiful phrase. And guess who does the voiceover? Janine Garofalo. And uh, <laughs> or a sarcastic self-consciously try-hard, quirky kid in the late 90s. Uh, Gene Garofalo had imprinted on me very hard. And I'm realizing some of this stuff in the light of day, maybe. uh, It it, it was of its era, let us say. And I'm sure we can now view Ben as the prototype of what we call the nice guy, capital N, capital (laughs) G. But whatever, we didn't really have critical thinking in the late 90s of, of that nature. The internet was just barely getting started. So I spot, uh, went in. I think it was second season. Uh, was, I don't remember the first episode, but I think Felicity had already decided to ditch, ditch Noel and go on the road to prison. Okay. And I got into it pretty hard. And you have to understand, like my friend Dan was kind of like me, also kind of like nerdy and everything. Whereas our friend Eric... Deep down inside, he was like a sensitive, sweet nerd. But in high school, he was like a football jock. And like mm-hmm. Dan and I would play like, I don't know, Radiohead or Elliot Smith. Be like, what's this whiny, whiny boy music? And people would be like, why is Eric watching Felicity with you guys? <laughs> we can all relate. But while I came for Noel, it did not take me long to fall for the charm and talent of uh, Carrie Russell. So that's why I got into the episode. That's why I got into the series. I later, I, I think I watched it all the way through, even when it got kind of wacky. Didn't Ben get shot or shoot someone? He saved someone's life. That got kind of wayward. Season season three, there's a there's a yeah a party that ends with a with with a with a shootout, and yeah. uh, and this girl that's obsessed with Ben gets shot, and I think he might get injured too. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And uh, later, I caught all the first season on reruns because. I'm old enough that there used to be a way you could catch up on TV for reruns. Yes. I, I, I may even be DVR the reruns. I, I don't remember that positively. And I haven't watched a series since I rewatched the episode last night. Whenever my wife and I are like, well, what do you want to watch now? Occasionally the idea of Felicity enters the conversation, especially because like we're diehard fans of uh, the Americans. But sure, 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 sure. Yeah. It's never quite like gotten much traction. And honestly, they'd be like, yeah, we should watch Felicity at some point. But really, we should probably like rewatch The Wire first or something like that. Notice it's sure. like Felicity, but you know of what I speak. 
I do, I do, I do. Yeah. It, it does feel like Felicity. I mean, at least with the, you know, uh, with the guests that I've, that I've had thus far, it, it's, it's a very comfortable show. Yeah. You know, it feels, it's very, especially now in the middle of the dumpster fire that we live in right now, it's, it's very nice to watch something that, um, is nostalgic, uh, where everyone has the best of intentions. Everyone's a good person for the most part. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I wish that we had our original, uh, music cues, but, you know, you can't have everything, mm-hmm. but it, it does feel like this show really hit a vein with a very specific type of person back then yeah. to yourself, which is a person that was sort of, you know, emotionally aware in touch sort of with what they were going through at the time. And this show sort of really locked into that. I don't want to say quarter life crisis, but sort of those early collegiate years where you're trying to find yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it was that audience plus probably an older audience that liked to look backwards a little bit as well. Um, So it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's really interesting to watch this show through the prism of, of the television landscape that we have now. Yeah. um, Which obviously, you know, you, you know, do pieces on all the time, but it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of a fascinating little relic because it's also the beginning of an illustrious career for obviously for JJ Abrams and, and for Kerry Russell and for any number of people on the show. Um, but it's kind of small. Like the, the the problems are small. The -hmm. world feels small. Um, and yet it's just incredibly endearing. Yeah. It's definitely like a, the television equivalent of a cozy mug of cocoa and a nice warm sweater. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. For definitely, sure. Yeah, definitely an image helped creative. I laughed out loud rewatching it because, like, I have completely forgotten that the credit sequence looks like a Gap commercial. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah it really does. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's like this episode is interesting because um, it it feels a little bit kind of. I don't really know how to explain it other than the fact that it kind of sticks out a little bit. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's uh, kind of at peace with the rest of what's going on in the show. And I, I think that the reason for that um, is that right around here is my, my assumption is when they start to feel the pressures of ratings, the, the fallout of the haircut, um, yeah. all of these things start to have real, um, resonance i guess to a certain degree um and the show feels a little bit i don't want to say wobbly but it just feels very kind of out of touch with itself a little bit yeah um and this episode in particular where and i'm just going to quickly read a synopsis for the people that haven't watched it felicity picks up a stray dog which wreaks havoc on everyone's lives and becomes her excuse for not having sex with david felicity is stunned when nolan eric uh nolan elena point out that her affection for this adopted dog is interfering obviously with her feelings for david who is rapidly losing his patience with her meanwhile sean is struggling with his feelings for julie and ben's morals are tested when maggie gives him an ultimatum which is to spend the night with her at the dakota hotel or she's out of his life forever Mm-hmm. Uh, Getting Lucky aired on November 14th, 1999. It was written by Jennifer Levin and directed by Dan Appel. Um, the dog uh, is perhaps the most depressing thing they've ever done on this show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I re-listened to, like, I, re- I wanted to go in the episode cold. Because I thought sure. I the synopsis, but I thought, like, I want the raw experience of going cold. And then, like, some things came back to me at different plot points, and I re-listened to the thing you did with Whitney, so I remember some things. So, yeah, 
next to the sexual assault plot line. This is the darkest thing the show ever did. And I will say, I was flabbergasted to kill the dog. I did not <laughs> want to kill the dog. I thought, I, yeah. I thought at the end she realized, you know, I'm too young to have a dog. It's a lot of responsibility. I got, I got to do the right thing here, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so not to be like a hoity-toity, like overeducated writer type, but yeah. is the dog like a metaphor for what should the same be thing. an animal passion, but the passion is sick and not living up to where it's supposed to be. I can work on my mouth right now. I, you know, I, I literally have a note here that says, I'm trying to figure out what Lucky is a metaphor for. Yeah. He does force Felicity to deal with her commitment issues, so there's something there. Yeah. That's as close as I can get to what Lucky is supposed to speak to in terms right. of like what's going on on the show. Um, to your point, the, I mean, we know that David and her are going to break up imminently anyway. So on some level, there's a part of me that's like, you almost think like David could have adopted the dog and when they break up or whatever, like he keeps the dog or yeah. when they break up, he takes the dog to a shot. Like there are ways to write yourself out of this corner and not have to kill the dog. It's yeah. crazy that they kill the dog. And like the show kept going for two more seasons. So I guess it's like full <laughs> ratings. But if, like, you're saying, like, the ratings were in a great place, it's a strange yeah. choice. It's I can, a very strange choice. Because I can see, like, if, like, okay, we got to get the ratings up. Let's set <laughs> this show up a little bit. Uh, let's have Felicity, like, get out there and score, as the characters mm. keep saying. But yeah. really, she barely wants to have score, it's score, and they kill a dog. Yeah, it's... See, okay, so I think that the best way to – what I'd like to unpack a little bit here is Felicity's issues with sex, which seem to be kind of what this episode is really trying to unpack in yeah. a very – I don't want to say ineffectual way, but a roundabout way. Like it, yeah. it feels like it's about Felicity's anxieties of having sex with someone she cares about for the first time because as we mm-hmm. – as fans know, you know, she was about to have sex with, with Noel back in season one, but then she has sex with some rando hot art student, uh, yeah. and she loses her virginity that way, and she's not had sex since. So there, there is this sort of push and pull that she's dealing with of how do I, how do I do this, right? There's anxieties that come with that. And, and that's com- a completely justifiable and interesting thing to explore. Yeah. But I don't think that they really want to go right at it. So they're trying to come at it from these different, angles and in the process it gets muddy because like i'm not entirely sure what they're trying to say um and the dog really just makes it all very kind of hard to really glean as to what they're trying to say right because at first i thought that i was watching i was like is this show to use the modern internet parlance sex negative are we like supposed to like you shouldn't be having sex in college unless it's to, unless it's to one of your one true loves. It's like, that's kind of a weird message, but it's something you probably would have found back then. But then I thought it was, it was kind of nice. They were like, okay, like while, this, while images like, or while uh, media, like say American Potters came out a few months ago, be like teenagers sure are hoarding ready to go. I was like, well, some of them are, <laughs> some, some of them are very self-conscious. Some of them they wanted to mean something. They like are, you know, nervous and that's like a nice depiction and i thought that part once they got to it was good but at some point i was like are we supposed to not like think that she doesn't like this guy because i don't know he's maybe some people might think he's not as hot as ben or noel whatever uh or maybe we think the audience would be mad if she got with someone who's not one of them you're right i don't quite it didn't quite come through 
And then mixed into all of this, just to make the waters even muddier, is you have Noel where at the beginning of the episode, you have a conversation that he kind of sort of gets kissed into a little bit where her and where Felicity and Elena are talking about the fact that she hasn't had sex with anybody else. And then Elena thinks for whatever reason that it's a good idea to bring Noel into the conversation. And then Noel's like, Oh yeah, you've got hangups. And then Felicity finds out that he's had sex with Ruby, mm-hmm. but he finds out she hasn't had sex with David. And then at the end of the episode, they're having breakfast together and he gleans that she's finally had sex with David. And yeah. the last line of the episode is she sees sort of this look on his face and she's like, what? And he's like, Oh, nothing. It's just that we have something that you don't have with David, which is a very strangely possessive thing for a person, for, for a man to say about someone who's not his girl. I mean, you shouldn't say period, but yeah. like, so you're just like, well, what exactly am I supposed to take away from all of this? That like, it's good that she hasn't had sex with Noel. Cause that's special and interesting. Yeah. And, and but it's also good that she had sex with David because that shows progress and that she's growing. Mm-hmm. It's all just like, I just, I honestly, it's all very confusing, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I, I, none of this takes away. If you ask me, like the fact that you and I can have this conversation about this episode of television speaks more to the show than most shows. Right. I mean, I don't yeah. think that, I, I don't think that a lot of shows were doing what Felicity was doing back then. So I appreciate that they're having these conversations and I know through channels of friends who either are friends with writers from the show or what have you, but something that was on the table, which is insane to even say this, but was on the table for the show was for Felicity to get raped at some point during the series. Oh my. Yeah. Um, which thank God that didn't happen for a myriad of reasons, just because we yeah. shouldn't be using, you know, sexual assault as a, as a plot device or any yeah. number of things, but also just because I like that this show had a, had a believable and messy relationship with sex for all of the characters to a certain degree that it didn't try to make it pat. But this episode is maybe the messiest in terms of a clear message of what they're trying to say. Yeah. 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 And I do have to say like the guy was very understanding. It kept giving her lots of chances. And I definitely like how he was first like, Oh, I don't care if the dog watches me. Cause like, We've all been there, buddy. And then he was like, oh, I'll put put him in the next room. Problem solved. Who cares if they're still parking? We've all been there, buddy. Uh, Very realistic. And I like that Fossey was like, nah, nah, boner kill, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that Lucky Cock blocks David on several yeah. occasions. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a funny bit. And I appreciated that, that they were having some fun with it. I mean, I also just think that, so having, obviously having been in writer's rooms, yeah. I, I understand how things, how episodes come to be, which is that they start as ideas, like as mm-hmm. themes, and then you make them into physical things that happen with inside an episode. So, I understand that, that they definitely were like, well, we need to find wedges to keep Felicity and David apart or to yeah. have, you know, obviously to have some sort of uh, obstacles. And someone's like, yeah, what about a dog? And then like they kind of shoehorn this dog into the episode and then kill it because they're just like, fuck it. We don't care about this dog. Yeah. And it's just like, that's sort of how, like at the end, it's crazy. Like at the end, she euthanizes this dog. And then, like, in the next scene, the guy's like, so should we? And she's like, yeah, okay. Like, no one's in a fucking mood after killing a dog. Yeah, that was crazy. That was so crazy. It's like, 
feel like you at least wait a week. <laughs> and but you're right because it just reminded me because it was such an obvious plot device. And you being a TV writer who's I'm sure very well in the industry, it's the infamous story is that at some point they realized Ellen's TV show. They said like this show has no point of view whatsoever because it was dancing around uh, Ellen's sexuality. It won't come out yet. Right. It's right. Like, right, right. It's like well, why don't you give her a puppy? And that's why, that's why I think the episode where she came out is called the puppy episode or something like that. And it's sort of like this, it me like, so the nineties were all about like, well, we're not sure what to do here. Throw a dog at it. Or a baby or like, it's just, it's, it's always things that, because I mean, it's hacky writing. Yeah. And I don't want to say that this episode is hacky, but I will say that it's hacky in the sense that there are sort of a few paths or, or, or little sort of buckets where there's just things that you know will get you five, six, ten episodes, like a thing that will buy you runway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand the the you know the instinct to go to those wells because you know th- they work, they're tried and true. Um, what's weird about this episode is that it just feels so happenstance. Like she just happens to find this dog in the middle of the road for, you know, just, just cause, and then the dog has no tags. And then the dog is sort of this, like, you know, this albatross around her neck and she's trying to get, get other people to take the dog off her hands. Um, and then the dog has distemper and she has to kill the dog at the end. Yeah. And like, obviously things have to happen in TV show. And it's very easy to be the peanut gallery and be like, well, you would actually have to do this and this like, but people made realistic decisions. No plots would ever happen. That's fine. Whatever. I get that. Even though I am definitely like, you just take the dog to a no kill shelter. You don't have to adopt a thing. And again, people would find out very quickly if you had a dog in your dorm room, which you are not allowed to have. Right. Yes, Especially if Megan is taking care of it because she gives zero fucks about anything. Yeah. So right. it's, it, it's, yeah. And then you had like, you had the scene where the dog, where there's a bunch of like frat boys giving the dog beer. Which would happen. It's unfortunate. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I approve of this. I'm not saying I approve of this. Right, this now, right. But when I was in college, there was this one house where all the stoners lived, and it was very well known they would get the chinchilla high. Okay. In really? retrospect, someone should have done something to stop that. I'm not approve. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that, yes, that would have happened. I mean, that's fair. I, I mean, listen, I, it's, it's one of those things where it just it felt like um, every writer's room I mean, the ones that I've been in and, and from the ones that I've heard about, there's a board. And on yeah. that board is a bunch of pitches, right? Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like pitches that we kind of like that someday we'd like to do. Yeah. And that board shrinks, it grows, it changes, what have you. Um, but it's stuff like Felicity gets a dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Felicity gets mono. It's like, it's things that are just like on a board that they're just like, we'll check this off. And, yeah. and, and when inevitably, and I, I, I'm sure you know uh, to some degree kind of the, the process of making a television show, but inevitably what happens is you are going to get pretty far down the road with episodes that will then get blown up and you have to pull an episode out of your ass because it's going to get shot in two weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's when you go to that board and you're like, okay, Felicity yeah. finds a dog. And that's how this kind of feels a little bit. Yeah. Um I definitely remember I've, uh, I've done my time in the TV recap salt mines. I'll tell you what. Sure. And when I was recapping the final season of The Office uh, for for our friend Walter, uh, oh. and I was definitely at some point there's an episode where some wacky German Christmas that Dwight's throwing, 
I think mm-hmm. I wrote my recap, which don't go back and read the recap. I'm sure it wasn't very good, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I think I think so. Like Dwight's wacky German Christmas uh, Christmas episode has definitely been on the office uh, writers board for a very long time, and fuck it, it's the last season. Yep. Yeah. That's. I mean, and listen, there. You, you know. The way sausages get made, it's ugly. No one likes it. No one wants to see yeah. how some stuff gets made. Um, your favorite television shows, you probably don't want to see how those get made either because you right. love them and you, and you want to assume that, that people put the, the, the most heart and thought into, into their things. That's not always the case. Um, and for all I know, I could be wrong about this episode. You know, this could have been something close to Jennifer Levin's heart or to whoever broke the episode or whatever. It's what it is. Uh, I, I certainly didn't hate the episode by any means. Yeah, it just, yeah, I enjoyed it. And, and I just think that it's, you know, at the top of season two, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, you know, this, the, the JJ and, and, and the showrunners kind of went out of their way to blow up the show. Mm-hmm. You know, they cut her hair, they separated her from Ben, they changed her major. Like they did all kinds of stuff to really kind of rock the foundation of this show to the best of their abilities, which is smart because that gets you the most story. But it had obviously a fair amount of pushback from audiences, the haircut in particular, and there was just stuff going on. So what you're sensing right now are kind of the gears are grinding a little bit to me. It's like Mm -hmm. you're at episode seven. You've got two more episodes until the fall finale. And you're just sort of like, okay, what have I got to do to just get this over the, over the sort of one yard line and get us that place? You know, then they do the, the, the Twilight Zone episode, which is one of my favorite episodes, but it's also like, exists in a vacuum. It's not part of this show really for all intents and purposes. So it's just, it's, it's a really kind of strange place to be in um, for the show, which is why it's interesting to talk about, you Mm -hmm. know, when everything is said and done talking about, you know, your classic office episodes or your classic episodes of any broadcast television show uh, is interesting because you love it. But the ones that don't work are perhaps more interesting to talk about as to why they didn't work. Um, and this one, I think, is interesting because of just there's a bunch of different things going on. We'll come back to the Felicity, but I want to kind of move forward for a second with Ben's storyline with Maggie, which is an equally morally questionable <laughs> part of this show. Definitely. Like re-listening to the podcast earlier and watching this one, I was reminded like, oh, yeah. Like whenever Ben wasn't interacting with Felicity, he got to so much business. He was up to no good. Like I just, I was like, wait, listen to that. I was like, did Ben really get into the gambling world? What the hell? I really remembered him getting shot. And then I was like, oh yeah. I do remember that he was having an affair with an older lady and like, shout out to Terry Polo. Great job. Love her. Yeah. I definitely howled out loud when she had a butterfly trans stamp. I'm like, that's not hell right there. Amazing. <laughs> but like he was you know, I can you see why he did it. He's a young guy figuring things out. I mean like he they buy it back at the end, I feel, because he sees a husband and he obviously feels guilt. I think if he were just doing it, we'd be like, What a bad dude. He can't be with our felicity. But we know like we know he's still hurting over Felicity. We know he's a confused man. And then, like, he sees this guy. He feels guilt. And Scott Speedman, apparently very nice guy, he sells it. Mm-hmm. Anti-Nolf manages to sell it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree on, on all counts. I mean, I think that, you know, um, I had a discussion last week uh, with Meg Masters, um, who came on to talk about um, The Love Bug, which mm-hmm. is last week's episode. Um, and she talked about her 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 
palpable rage towards Maggie as she was watching it as a teenager because Ben was like her crush. And the fact that Ben, that Maggie was taking Ben away from Felicity drove her crazy, right. uh, which is understandable. I'm sure most, uh, most teenagers felt similarly or teenage girls felt similarly perhaps. But, but what's interesting about the Maggie storyline, if you ask me, is, um, to your point, it makes Ben a better person. Like all of these things are about making Ben worthy of Felicity. Yeah. Whereas at the top of, of season two, he is very much not. And then by the end of season two, he is. So it, this is the season of like Ben growing a heart, not a heart, but a soul and, and, and a consciousness. Yeah. Um, that being said, and I love Terry Polo. So this isn't a knock on Terry Polo. This is a knock on, I'd say, the way she was directed and the way that Maggie was written. Maggie could perhaps chill a little bit. Like, she's so fucking serious. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I, I listen, Terry Polo is a beautiful woman, and I understand that Ben would want to be with her if for no other reason than because of her beauty. But she's so goddamn serious in all of the scenes at, like, uh, Dean and DeLuca, where I'm just like, she's not, like, there's nothing compelling about this woman. So I, I, I feel a little bit of that. When she's just very direct, like, I want to have an affair with you. It's like, yeah. like, why be subtle? <laughs> yeah, she, she just puts it right out there. Um, which again, like, I don't, I don't. Subtility is for cowards. <laughs> there's something to her, I think, and maybe I'm reading into this, but there's a little bit of, he's a boy. Mm-hmm. I don't need to treat him necessarily with, kid gloves for all intents and purposes. Like, I'm just going to kind of put it all fucking out there. I don't really give a shit. Like, do you want to do this thing or not? Um, which I sort of get, but there's a lot of push and pull with her. Like the week before she's basically telling him to fuck off and go away. Then she's having sex with him. Then she's saying no. Then she's like, they're yo-yoing her in -hmm. a way that isn't doing the character any, any favors. But to your point that the husband coming into the equation does add a wrinkle that gives Ben a way out in terms of growing, which is obviously the, the important, the important yeah. detail. Um, then we have Sean and Julie. Right. I, I've never, it's, it's really interesting because Sean's one of the characters that's really stayed with me over the years from this show. I yeah. love Greg Runberg. Everyone loves Greg. He's he's fantastic. He actually, I did an interview with him, which will be tagged onto the end of this episode. So, oh, cool. um, so so we talk a lot about obviously about his uh, his relationship with JJ. They go way back to like uh, literally like the sandbox of whatever grade school they went to. But um, but you know, Sean's character starts off as a little bit of a foil, a little bit of sort of a punchline, um, a sounding board for Ben's character, and then really turns into like they really do give him they give him testicular cancer, they give him a, a really great relationship with Megan. Like these are all things that come down the road. But where we are right now with his character is his insecurities about having feelings for Julie, right. which ultimately go unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, which. I just can't decide whether or not they were going to go for it and then they just got cold feet or whether they wanted to do a storyline about unrequited love. Yeah. But whatever it is, it, it makes me feel a little icky, and I'm curious as to your thoughts on it. Right. See, I was having a hard time remembering where we were in the series. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, has she been assaulted, and is he aware yes. of that assault? That I don't know. 
Right. I don't know if he ever knew about it back in season one, if I'm not mistaken. I do seem to recall that at some point he learns. I remember him saying something along the lines of like, because once I started watching things came back to me, I really did love this show. Like, I think maybe his sister or someone he cared about was assaulted. And he was like, now there's two people in the world that hate more than anything. Something like that. It was like, right, 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 right. And it was a lot of like, we're seeing this character kind of come into his own. But I couldn't remember the time. And on one hand, you can see the show happen today. There'd be certain complaints out there, valid complaints. So like, oh no, another set show, another show where a sad man complains that a woman doesn't want to fuck him. I've never seen this plotline before. But on the other hand, like, I don't know, happens every day. <laughs> like, as long as you can find a new way to like tell the story, someone's yeah. going to relate to it, I think. But it is kind of weird. Like, yeah, because it seems like they were kind of dancing around it. Like, are we supposed to like? feel sorry for the guy because it's not going to happen she's not into him. Are supposed mm-hmm. to feel sorry for her because he won't take a hint? Do we feel sorry for both of them? Or is this a realistic picture of, like, when you're young, you don't always, like, think about other people's feelings or you don't, you don't know how to express yourself or, I don't know, get a clue? These things happen. And again, like, life is messy when you're young. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of that's completely valid. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't remember – how they actually executed it. I know that he doesn't end up with Julie and I know that, that a relationship doesn't manifest, but I, I'm curious. I mean, I'm going to keep watching once out of, once yeah. we're done with this miniseries anyway, but I'm curious to see how they do that. Cause I mean, you've seen many, many television shows. We all have where things either, uh, uh, you know, there are a whole bunch of behind the scenes things that happen with, with, yeah. uh, with recurring characters or with, 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 uh, regular cast members, but, you know, storylines that happen and then all of a sudden they just seem to disappear. Characters that show up and disappear, like things happen. Yeah, so it's so quite possible that they, yeah, they went down the road a little bit and they were like, you know what? We're not feeling this or this is just, you know, and, and by the way, perhaps it was their intention to create a weird kind of energy there. Like, that's cool too. And this show has gone out of its way to do that every now and then. So I'm not holding this against the show. I think it's more just as I'm sure you're, you're having this happen because we all are, which is that <laughs> the world's on fire right now and we're yeah. seeing things through a very different lens, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're watching shows or movies that we used to love from whenever they were back then, there are all these things that jump up now that you're just like, Oh, right why is Elena using the R word at the top of this episode? Like, it's no big deal. <laughs> like stuff like that where you're like, woo. Okay. There's that. And look, 1999 was a long time ago. <laughs> at that time, it was fairly novel to have gay characters. I'm sure Ian Gomez is a nice to man. And I don't want <laughs> to be the problematic cop, yeah. but yeah. yeah, like, like the gay characters a lot. Like I do know there are gay men who talk about that. I'm not saying there's not. It's, yeah, but yeah, I believe. No, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear that a lot. I mean, we 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 had this. I had this discussion pretty early on with one of my guests. Forgive me, I can't remember which one. But we talked a little bit about the Ian Gomez of it all, and um, I would say that it is a loving portrayal. Mm-hmm. It might be broad, and it certainly is broad at times. Yeah, um, it's not much. It's not malicious, and I do think that – I mean, listen, it would never happen today. Like, no, yeah. That would just not be allowed to, to, to get through. But I think right now, watching this show, it, it they love the character, and they go out of their way to make sure that he 
you know, that he's in storylines that are, that are loving. Um, he doesn't feel like a punchline, if that makes sense. Like there's times where he's delivering a joke, mm-hmm. but I never feel as though we're laughing at Javier. Yeah. I don't mean to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to make excuses for the show, but I do think that there's, it, it walks a fine line, but I agree with you. The show exists in a space where, um, there are things that just jump out at me and, and in a post me too universe, yeah. I'm curious to see how they handle the Sean Julie thing to make sure that they protect both characters. And I'm just curious to see how we go forward on that front. Right. Um, Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. But that's sort of where, I mean, I'm curious as to your thoughts sort of on a macro level when it comes to the way that, I mean, you, you said you watched the show all the way to the end. So, you know, uh, you were there for time travel. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and you were there for some of the bigger swings that the show took. Um, you know, they talk a lot about how the show was always going to be four years. The plan was always just to do four years of college and I'll take them at their word. Um, but you know, how did you feel? How did you feel about the way that it resolved itself? Did you sort of, did you feel as though it, it, it was a satisfying ending for you? It overall, I definitely thought the time travel was very strange. (laughs) Came out of nowhere. Um, I thought the fact that, uh, Okay, I'm trying to remember what happened. Because, then, because okay, she went back in time and yeah. slept with Noel instead of Bent, right? And like her life completely changed. Correct. And but one of the characters died in the car wreck. Who was it? I can't remember who it was. Uh, died, Elena. It? Elena dies in in I guess the real world. Okay. And then in the fake world, or in this sliding doors universe, Noel dies. Okay. Because was it a case of it wasn't the right. classic thing was the show was renewed for a few more episodes and they didn't know what they were doing. Correct. And so they had like pull something up, like you said. Correct. And uh, once I found that out, it made a bit more sense because that was around the time I started going on like more pop culture sites and reading about how television was made. And sure. I read, like I think it was the message board. I was like that wasn't how they're going. And then they did this. I was like, oh, that makes more sense. And I assumed that the actors playing Elaine, it's like probably book something else into their form wasn't available. I don't think they had to kill the character like that, but I'm sure it was something of that nature. Yeah. It, it's the, you know, for all intents and purposes, it sounds like the show was picked up for, I believe it was 13 for yeah. season four. They, they built a season of television that, that got to that point And then they were asked to do four more or something like that. Yeah. Um, so they came up with this sort of, 
epilogue, if you will, or this sort of sliding door situation where we could see, you know, what would happen if she made the, the opposite decision, which, by the way, in and of itself doesn't bother me so much. I mean, the show was, you know, the show had elements of the supernatural with Megan's character. So, like, it wasn't insane. Um, and I'm curious, again, to, to watch it to, to the end and see how it feels this time around. Um, I'll just say this. As, as, as a TV writer, I can't imagine breaking a season of television mm-hmm. and then someone saying, just kidding, find four more episodes, just pull them out of your butt. Um, yeah. Because you've, you've, you've tried to find a, a natural conclusion to the show. You tried to find a, a, a way to do it properly. So um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of unfair, if I'm being yeah. completely honest. Now, I mean, yeah. I definitely, you get the sense, thinking back about those episodes and the Twilight Zone episode, it was definitely J.J. Abrams being very self-conscious, like, I'm not working in WB teen shows my entire life, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I can do genre. Yes, brings, 100%. But that brings me to my uh, scorching hot take. You ready for it? Please. Yeah? I'm so ready. I'm so prepared. By far, this is my favorite thing J.J. Abrams has ever done. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, so you're a fan. <laughs> I'm not, okay, I like him fine. Uh, I respect his talent. But a, f- a critic friend of mine, the great Sean T. Collins, I'll introduce him, if you, introduce him to him if you want, once described J.J. Abrams thusly, I've never been able to get that idea out of my head. A professional curator of other people's ideas. Like, I think J.J. Abrams is good at telling stories. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. you already like, shifting it and making it modern. That's not a small feat. But, like, and some things I've just tried mm-hmm. to get to me. But this was the most heartfelt thing I've seen that he's done. Like, I think with this show, he was trying to tell a story about, like, how you can, like, reinvent yourself, which is a deeply American myth. Like, I don't want to be the shy, mousy girl anymore. I want to move to the glamorous city and be an adventurous person. I want to be the bold and the person I boy like. Or uh, Ben being, I don't want to be this dude or whatever. I want to be a better person. Like, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. If he, if there are some deeper meanings or deeper ideas he wanted to get through in his other work, it didn't come through to me. With the a caveat, there's the stuff I've, I've watched that I gave up on because I wasn't feeling it. I'm not one of those people who trudged all the way through Lost, so maybe if I did, I have a different opinion. I enjoyed his first Star Wars film and did not care for his third Star Wars film whatsoever. Uh, the Star Trek films weren't my thing at all. Enjoyed Mission Impossible, but there's not a lot there than like a fun action film. And there's nothing wrong with it, like, again, with just taking a brand and telling a fun story with it. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But I do kind of want from time to time my creators to give me some sort of depth and to say some, to let me know what to think about the human experience. And I don't really get that from him very often. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that this is my, the, the best or my favorite thing that he's done. Um, I have my, my caveats with JJ for sure to a certain degree. And, and I think part of it is a good chunk of it feels like self-inflicted wounds, which is, I think, a little bit of what you're, what you're kind of circling to, which is that he, um, you know, I was having this discussion with some friends the other day, actually, just about how, in our own way, we were disappointed that he did the third Star Wars movie and not just because of the way that it turned out because, I mean, I, I wasn't a big yeah. fan of it, but, but perhaps more importantly, you know, he's, he has to find his own voice. Yeah. Like there has to be, like, I think that Lost is an original thing. Uh, and, and so is, is, is Felicity and Fringe. And, and, you know, I think he's, he's capable of finding stuff that feels somewhat original. Um, 
but I, I guess the bigger issue is he's becoming the guy that people go to 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 reboot things. Mm-hmm. Your Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, that when he did the first Star Wars movies, I was like the first Star Wars movie, I was like, okay, great. He now can do whatever he wants. You yeah. know, he was circling um, uh, Let the Great World Spin, uh, that great book that came out uh, about mm-hmm. a decade ago. There's lots of pieces of IP and books that he's bought the rights to that I'm just like, I'd love to see you do that, man. Like, go do that. Um, and I don't know if it's fear. I don't necessarily think it's fear. I just think it's more about trying to figure out his take, trying to figure out his way in, trying to lock into it. I mean, listen, it's hard to do what he does, and I, and I think that you know he deserves, um, you know he deserves some credit for that. But to your point, I'm at a place now with him as a fan where he's got to step up. Like he right. needs to get to that next plateau um, and either become the next Spielberg or the next Robert Zemeckis or the next whatever he becomes, or I guess just kind of keep treading water and doing what he's doing, which is obviously very successful. So I don't I don't mean to take that away from him, but. Right. To go back to uh, geek auteurs of the late 90s and early 2000s in the current era, let us put aside the various personal feelings of Joss Whedon as a person aside, and I'm not smitten. Joss Whedon had things he wanted to say about the world. Now, the fact that he's a flawed human being does not invalidate his artistic thoughts because there's plenty of authors throughout time. We'd have to do that, too. But at least he wants to say something. I never get that sense from J.J. Abrams except with Felicity. And... Yeah. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's more Matt Reeves. Who knows? I think that there's. I I, I completely agree with you that there is um, an intellectualism mm-hmm. to Joss Whedon that I don't think is. Um, I think intellectualism as as a reputation of being cold or cerebral. I don't associate those to Joss Whedon at all. I just think that that there's a thoughtfulness. I guess. Yeah. In the fact that Joss knows where he's going. Mm-hmm. JJ is all about the journey and doesn't care so much about the destination. Right. Whereas Joss seems to be about both. He wants to make sure that you're having a great time, but that I stick the fucking landing at the end. JJ's not about landings, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, it's just not a priority for him. Um, and you know, that's a problem for a lot of people. I mean, I was talking on a, the other day on another on, a, on another podcast about Lost yeah. um, and the ending of Lost. And I certainly don't. We certainly don't need to get into that here. But I'll just say this: that for me personally, I understand people that feel like if a show or a movie series doesn't end well, that it's all for naught. Right. I get that, but I'm also a person that can enjoy the journey and can enjoy the spots in between and lock in on on an episode or a season or a, or a movie um, and feel like that's satisfying in and of itself. So there's, do you sort of know what I'm getting at? Like, I think that there's something to that. Like, I didn't love the way Battlestar Galactica ended, but man, right. those first three seasons. Right. It's yeah. sort of like, I don't know, the Rolling Stones haven't made a good album since I've been born. They're still the Rolling Stones. <laughs> That's it, that's a perfect example, right? I mean, I, I look back. For me, it's it's the first four seasons of The West Wing. I think are basically perfect seasons of television. Yeah. Uh, the last three kind of don't exist for me, and that's fine. Like the show just ends when Zoe Bartlett is kidnapped, and that's okay with me. Like yeah. I just it, and so you know it, it's it's and I think that JJ kind of weaponizes that. Like mm-hmm. to JJ, he's like, I'm going to give you the best fucking thing right now in front of you, and I want to give you the best thing that's in front of you right now. And let's not worry about tomorrow. And the right. problem with that, of course, is that it leads to shows that 
don't end well. Yeah. Um, like he was smart. Know. If the original plan was to do just four seasons, Felicity and out more shows should just be done and done. Yeah. Like Rachel Bloom is a genius for us being like, who cares about the sixth season of a show? Like we're just ending this at four. Not to say they're right. having yeah. a good six seasons, but you know what I mean? I do. I mean, I think that that freedom speaks a lot to the landscape of television that we live in right now, though, um, which is that, you know, uh, back in the day, it was about syndication and it was about making as many episodes of a thing as is humanly possible. And we're now, thankfully, out of that, it seems, mm-hmm. at least for, for most television shows, um, which means that the quality of those shows is that much higher. Uh, and it also means that shows end appropriately, <laughs> as opposed to just going on forever because we want them to go on forever. Um yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I think that Felicity is one of those shows too where, you know, its ratings were what its ratings were. And I, I imagine that if we could rewind time and go back, um, you know, they probably could have done more seasons of this show, but we just don't need it. I mean, I think that the show ended where it should end. It ended, you know, appropriately or as appropriately as it could. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I I don't know. I think that it's really interesting to, to watch this show now through the prism of, of, television and 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 mm-hmm. where we are right now i think it's really interesting um here's another I, I, I yeah please oh here's another thought like you know what show in a very weird sideways was this reminds me of what's on currently mm. because all right so me and my friends we would watch pre-twitter watch noel cheer for noel saw ourselves reflected in noel and the modern day equivalent version of that character is lawrence on insecure because i read an interesting article that apparently he has a huge online fan base called hashtag Lawrence Hive. And they cheer Lawrence on. They're very happy when things are going well with him and Issa, uh, his love interest. Whenever things are going bad for him, they get very protective of him. Whenever <laughs> he has sex, they're like, that's our boy Lawrence. And, uh, I'm like, I didn't have social media, and I wouldn't have called myself like a stan back then. Yeah. But yeah, I see the equivalence. And oh, there's no question. My, my, I remember watching this show with my friend Jan, who's been on the podcast, past and future guest. Uh, and we talked, you know, and, and, and we both liked Noel. Like Noel was one of the first, and I think part of this, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this too. Part of it has to do with the casting, right? Which is that the, the casting originally for, for the Noel character was going to be a little bit more along the lines of Ducky from uh, Pretty in Pink. It was going to be a lot more kind of, uh, that whole wavelength. And then Scott Foley was going to be Ben, and then they couldn't find a Ben, and then they found Scott Speedman, and then they asked Scott Foley to be to be Noel. And by casting uh, Scott Foley as Noel, it it cast this, you know, very good looking, very kind of athletic looking guy as the nerd, which he played beautifully, obviously. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, the 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 perhaps the emo kids like myself and my friends mm-hmm. could watch this show and be like, look, it can work out. Like it, yeah. it, it, it actually can, you know, and I think that that's part of it. And I think that also, you know, there are a lot of girls that fall. There's some team Noel, there's team Ben. We've got a lot of team Noel on this podcast. We've had some team Ben's. Um, it is interesting to see what type of people are drawn to Noel's and are, tra- are drawn to Ben's. And it should also be said too, I try not to, to say negative things about team Ben, because I might not be team Ben, but both of these are good guys. Like it's, you you know, neither of them are a villain here. So yeah, Ben is just young and he's getting into stuff. He doesn't know he shouldn't be getting into, but we all have misadventures when we're young. (laughs) 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for, for coming mm-hmm. on. I, I really appreciate it, Michael. Uh, it was, uh, it was, it's a weird episode. I'm, I'm thrilled that we got to talk about killing dogs on, uh, on the WB. Um, and, uh, and I hope that you'll come back in the future. We're going to be doing a lot more television as we, as we, you know, there's uh, uh, a lot of 1999 TV. There's some Buffy's and Dawson's and, uh, and Sex and the Cities. And I noticed that you sometimes do uh, albums. So if you ever want to do some albums, yes. Yes. Uh, you called yourself an emo kid. So should we celebrate one of the greatest emo, emo's greatest achievements of all time? 1999's landmark release by Jimmy World Clarity. I would, I would gladly do that. I, I don't, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's a, 99 was a little bit of a wasteland for music, as I'm sure you might very well know. It was, a, it was, it was really the ascension of pop music, but there's some good stuff there. There was, no, it was a, it was a tight year. I'll, I'll send you some suggestions one of these days. Or we, or, Please. or Please. we can go hard on Magnetic Field 69 Love Songs. <laughs> I'm a music critic, can you tell, in addition to being a TV person? Yes, I'm, I'm sensing that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Please email me some of your, your top choices and, uh, and I'd love to have you back. We can talk about any number of them, whatever you'd like. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's awesome. been so much fun. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Hey guys, it's me again. Uh, so now we have my interview with Greg Grunberg, who plays Sean on Felicity. Uh, he's obviously been in a bunch of JJ stuff. They go way back. Uh, so I was able to have an interview with him to talk about his relationship with JJ, all the stuff that he's uh, done with him, uh, and also the character of Sean and the journey that he went through over the four seasons that he was on the show. So stick around for that. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Liskov, and I'm thrilled to have Greg Runberg on today, uh, who played Sean on Felicity. I'm sure you've seen him in, in many things. Um, thank you so much for being here, Greg. Dude, are you kidding me? This, uh, first of all, this is so great. Any, anything nostalgic. I had, um, there's a, my cousin, Carol Rosenthal. She was on in Living Color. She is now a casting director. She's, hilarious, like absolutely hilarious. And she and I go back and forth on Facebook and send each other things like kids from the San, of San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. And, you know, there are all these things where you go, oh, you remember when Dupar's was over there and I got my jeans over there? That's where I got Rudnick's. I got my bar mitzvah suit. You know, it's like anything or, 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 uh, like recently it's been, it's been all about, uh, the nostalgia of food from when I, you know, in 99 or, sure. you know, before 99 when I was, sure. you know, I'm 53. So, but, uh, to, 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 uh, go back to a time to talk about a time that I so fondly remember. And when I, heard, you know, when I, I've been listening to the podcast and you guys, you're just doing such a great job. And it, oh, thank you. We really need this right now. Um, <laughs> yes. you know, yes. uh, I don't know if what we're dealing with right now, I don't think was any better in 1999. We've been dealing with, uh, you know, yeah. racial equality for a very long time. But as far as like going back and going, Oh, it, it, as far as my life, a simpler time in my life personally, <laughs> sir, dude, 1999 was <laughs> just, it was great. And, and, you know, so we'll get into it, but I mean, it was the yeah. beginning of my career that that's, you know, you were, we're talking Felicity. That's where I started. So, um, just to rewind just a little bit, um, you were born and raised in Los Angeles or? Yeah, born and raised in West LA, um, and, uh, grew up, you know, around people that were in show business and, and, uh, I was always into sports and, and my, my kids are following suit. Um, it's a lot different today though. My son plays baseball for LMU. Um, and then my other son plays baseball at Calabasas and they're just, you know, you know, it's all about baseball, baseball, baseball. And now they're being recruited, you know, kids get recruited out of the womb now, you know, as opposed to when we were kids. So we, 
you gravitated when you were a kid toward uh, kids that had like-minded interests and things. And um, I just got lucky that when I was playing in the sandbox at age five, um, JJ, little JJ Abrams was, uh, was right there with me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know if I knew what, what he was destined for, but my father absolutely knew. And I'll tell you a quick story was we, there was a place we're still around called Shakey's, you know, a, a, a pizza place. And my dad took us to Shakey's and, I remember we're sitting there and me and JJ are sitting there and I don't know, we were like nine or something. And JJ was just so brilliant, so brilliant, um, at sketching little doodles and, and, uh, we were both, you know, funny and quick and stuff. And my dad, um, just had enough of this banter that was going back and forth that he couldn't follow, you know, and he was like, all right, that's it. And he takes out a napkin and he writes, I will be JJ's manager taking 50% or something crazy. <laughs> And he, and he passes it over to JJ and JJ fake signs it and whatever. And my dad, you know, who's 88 this year, he's the mm-hmm. best to this day. We're still all, we're like one big family. I mean, honestly, JJ is, is like my brother. Um, and, uh, we, we made, you know, we're making prank phone calls and, and making short little shorts and, and, uh, uh, any, anything that we were doing with film back then, super eight movies and stuff, I was the actor and he was, he and Matt Reeves, believe it or not, brilliant filmmaker Matt Reeves. You know, right. we were doing, we were doing stuff back then and I didn't know where it would lead. And, um, but now looking back, it's just, that's, those were my formative years and I loved it so much. I loved, I loved being creative at that age. I loved the reaction I got from people. I loved pretending. Um, and, and in a very real way. And even back then it was just, let's keep it as real as possible. And, um, it's been kind of the, the, you know, the motto of my career or the, the code that I'm trying to live by. I mean, with, with that in mind, did you, did they talk with you about Felicity? Did you know about Felicity before, as it was sort of coming into being a thing? Did you? No, I mean, here's the thing. JJ's going to Sarah Lawrence and sure. he comes out of school and then he, he pairs up with, uh, you know, a few writers and does a few things and does, um, taking care of business was his first thing mm-hmm. he ever did. And, you know, and we're sharing an apartment at that time, you know, and I'm, and I'm, <laughs> I'm with, and he's, and he wrote a script called regarding Henry or wasn't mm-hmm. called regarding Henry, I guess, but <clears throat> in college and then takes that out and that sells. And then this sells and that sells. And I'm sitting there just like, what's going on? You know, <laughs> he's, here's my roommate. I'm, I'm eating top ramen and you know, and he's just selling scripts left and right. And that was in the days, I think it's still, still true. You can attest to this, but you know, bidding wars. Remember when that whole like, um, Shane Black was writing stuff. It was, sure. I remember Shane Black had the first like big bidding war on a script. Mm-hmm. And I came home one day and JJ was like, yeah, I think I, I think we sold, you know, he had great agent David Lawner and he sold the script and I was so excited for him. And I'm like spinning out, like, what am I? I was driving <laughs> a driver for a huge producer named Joel Silver. Uh huh. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I was, I was acting, you know, trying to act. I was, I was going to, you know, on commercial auditions and things and. JJ's writing and selling scripts and I'm hoping to get on, get little parts here and there. So I'm really doing the actor hustle, you know? Sure. I, um, uh, I mean, I could take you down. I had a, <laughs> I had a frozen yogurt store on Melrose. <laughs> I've had, I've had all kinds of businesses. Uh, I, I sold leotards. My dad was in the Schmata business. So he made, uh, clothing and leotards were one of the things he made. So I would take the samples and I would sell it, uh, at frater- at sorority meetings on Monday nights. Okay. Mm-hmm. After the meeting, they'd open the door and there I'd be with all the samples and these girls. It wasn't, wasn't so bad to meet girls. Right. And then I, you know, um, and then at the same time, I was, I'd go to Venice Beach and, and sell, 
these samples on the boardwalk. So a lot of improv, you know, when you're dealing with people on this boardwalk, there's all these great characters down there, wonderful people. And so I was hustling. I'm sensing a little bit of Sean in some of this. Totally. This is where I'm getting to. (laughs) Look at you, writer. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, there's more than one time when JJ and Matt came to me and said, Hey, um, remember that stupid idea that you had about doing this? this? <laughs> Can we maybe use that on the show? And That's so funny. But here's the thing about Felicity was, and this gets a lo- very yeah. long way around yeah, yeah. your question, which is, you know, both JJ and Matt, both absolutely brilliant filmmakers. Brian Burke, too, um, uh, coming up, you know, uh, Brian and I produced Matt's student thesis film at SC and, um, uh, called Mr. Petrified Forest. And like, there were things that you're like, okay, you know, you, you don't want to profile creatively somebody and say, okay, this is the kind of thing that they're going to be writing. But then to have the first TV thing or the first really kind of big hit out of the box or opportunity be something that where you're following a young girl on her adventure to in college in New York and the sensitivity of that and the stories and the characters. I was like, what? Like that is what I knew. I grew up with these guys. They're big sci-fi guys. They're big. But at the end of the day, what it really comes down to, by the way, they're both absolutely hilarious. And you know that from your right. You know, you have to be, there's got to be levity and comedy throughout any drama. Even the hard, the harshest, scariest moments have, have levity. And they were brilliant at that. And then character first. It's always about the character. So I, I, the way I tell young writers when I get a script and I just hate it and I'm like, guys, you know, I, I don't want to take this train. And it's like, <laughs> I get up. It's like, I sit down. I, this is what it's like to me. I sit down on a train. And if there's a, a really, really boring, weird, crazy person that I just can't relate, I don't understand. I get up and walk to the end of the, another, tra- you know, the, the train car. Same yeah. thing through with the script. I want to take it. I want to take the ride with these characters. I don't care if it's going to be the most mundane journey of just two characters sitting in a cafe eating. It's got to be interesting. So they're brilliant at characters where I remember with Felicity, especially you, you could close your eyes, open, the script, point to any dialogue in the script. Somebody tells you what that dialogue is. I'll tell you which character said it. There's no room for, well, that could have been, you know, Carrie or that could have been Scotty or that could have been me. No, it's very clear because the characters are so well laid out, you know? Um, and those are my favorite things. So when they, when they, you know, when JJ's like, we, Matt and I are doing this thing, this Felicity, I was like, Oh my gosh. Now I am nowhere near college age. I know you had a bunch of questions. I'm going to plow through this. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I mean, listen, I got nowhere to be. <laughs> no, but this is, this gets to what you were saying. Sounds very yeah, strong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where, so as an actor and a hustling actor and, uh, you know, we are, we are really good. You and I are now, we're really good friends too. Okay. So here, here's the way it is. <laughs> you send me a script. If I don't like it, I'm calling you up and I'm going, dude, yeah. I don't, I don't love it. And I'm not going to pull any punches. I'll just be like, yeah. look, Phil, this is the way it is. As opposed to, you know, when a director on set doesn't know how to say this or that, we're good friends, you know, so, um, uh, uh, they, they got this opportunity and they're, they're going to write this pilot, whatever. I am a hustler. I, I'm, I, I don't pull any punches. I call them both up and I'm like, all right, guys, what am I, who am I playing? <laughs> who am I playing? <laughs> what am I playing? I'm a, I'm a, I'm an actor. I sure. need someone to give me a job. Sure. 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing Frankenstein the College Years with uh, on on uh, Fox uh, Movie of the Week. Uh, it was Tom Shadyac, so now looking back, it was great. But still, at the same time, I'm doing all these little things, scrapping to get a co-star, a one line, a this, a that, whatever. Commercials, like I said, I was doing a bunch of commercials, and I said, please, and they both said, I, I mean, you're not college age, Greg. You're too old. There's nothing. Yeah. No characters, and yeah. you're not old enough to play Felicity's dad, right? Right. So. I was stuck. And then, um, I said, well, what about, you know, and, and, and it wasn't me, it was them, but we were kind of brainstorming, you know, because they were rolling their eyes going, we want to find something for you. I mean, these are my best yeah. friends, right? So, of course, of course. and, and JJ was, we're sharing an apartment. I am hustling to make a living and not have to have a real regular job. So out of that desperation comes these business ideas and they're very similar to what Sean, I remember one story and one, one thing I, I was like, you know, people are in offices. And what they really, this is so bad. JJ tells it better, but <laughs> what they really want is fresh fruit. That's all people want is fresh fruit. I don't care what time of day I can knock on their office door. And if I have a cooler full of beautiful fresh fruit, they're going to buy it. And he was like, you're crazy. Now I couldn't just go to smart and final type place or whatever and buy a bunch of fruit. Now I had to go down at four 30 in the morning to the fruit mart downtown, bought a bunch of fruit. Then it was, I remember it was a hundred degrees in the valley and I had this big cooler. We weren't living in the valley, but I, I went to the valley, Ventura Boulevard and I, and I went, you know, into businesses, knocked on the door. No one was interested. <laughs> I, I came, I came back to the apartment. It's like an episode of Felicity. I came back yeah. to the apartment with, with just as much fruit as I left, but I'm drenched in sweat, so defeated. I'm, I, and I'm also, I'm also really uh, upset at the world that people would rather eat crap than fresh fruit. Sure. Just anyway, that type of idea, those types of hustles, the Venice boardwalk, the this, the that, that JJ has experienced over the years. And Matt, they were both like, you know what? It'd be great. And then that's how the Sean Blumberg character was born. It's, it's also great how, um, Sean is always overcharging and Julie's always pulling him back. <laughs> which I also think is fantastic. He not only thinks his ideas are brilliant, he thinks people will pay exorbitant amounts of money for them. Absolutely. It's, it's and incredible. I rope Sean, not unlike myself, like I write and I really love writing with people, with a, with sure. a partner. There's something so satisfying about that. There's something so lonely about writing alone. Oh yeah. <laughs> but then at the end of the day, you know, we're all controlling and I'm like, no, that's funny. No, oh, I'm telling you, that's funny. You're, you have that argument, but, I, but it's, it's one of those things that I just love that, you know, being around people and, and, and doing that. So, um, Sean in the same respects was always, I remember he, I roped in Noel for a project and he and I were on something together. I got, I got Robbie Benedict, you know, by the way, Robbie would be a great guest. Love on to have show. him on. Obviously. Oh, done, yeah. done. <laughs> He's the best, but, but you know, it was fun to watch. JJ and Matt go, you know, every, when I got the scripts, you know, like I had that, an, an arrow through a head, like Steve Martin, I remember for he headaches and I had uh, smooth A's and all this great smooth stuff. A's, yeah. Yeah. To this yeah. day, that resonates with people. People look, this is way before Shark Tank. I was way ahead of my time. You were way ahead my of your time. Was. Yeah. Sean was way ahead of your time. Yeah. It's, I do think that there is something, and, and I want to ask you about this because I do think that as funny as Sean is, and he is very funny and he adds a lot of levity to the show. There's a big 
brother component to him as well, especially with obviously with Ben's character. Um, but then there's also some really nice smaller character work. Um, there's a cancer storyline. I mean, there's a lot going on. They throw yeah. a lot at you and you're keeping a lot of plates spinning. And I guess my question is, how do you do that? Um, well, it's, it's an appreciation for getting some meat on the show for right. sure. You know, um, it's it, 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 and inevitably it happens if you're doing a good job as an actor, it, it happens on every show I've been on where you go on the show. I mean, I did masters of sex, right? I'm on that show. Larry Trilling, my buddy, he's we directing. Had him on too. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. You had Larry on. Yeah. Um, he's great. Yeah. Oh, best. And everybody that works with Larry is like, can I only work with Larry? <laughs> Lawrence Trilling is a brilliant story. We did, we did a movie by the way, way before or no, after Felicity, I guess. Um, yeah. Called uh group sex. And if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, you must see it. Larry. Directed it it. Yeah. We co-wrote it together. I star in it with a bunch of people, but it's a, it's a romantic comedy set in the world of sexaholics and it's hilarious. Henry right. Winkler, Tom Arnold, me, Odette, mm-hmm. Annabelle, um, Josh Cook. Great, great cast. But, um, what was I get, getting to is, uh, uh, talking about the smaller moments and just sort of having to juggle all the things that you were juggling. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that after a while on every show and you've seen this, you go, Oh, you know what? Why don't, if, if the actors are doing great, you want to write for them. Yeah. And then, and then to get something like testicular cancer as a storyline and to have something. And then these are endearing characters. You know, when you have a one pop, you come into a scene and you're like, boom, and then you go out, <laughs> you know, it's awesome. It's awesome. Who's yeah. your favorite character on, on Seinfeld? It ain't Jerry, you know, it's going to be <laughs> yeah, George or Kramer or whatever. Yeah. So to have those opportunities, I love being that guy and I love being the best friend. I love, and it's very similar to what I try and do in my life is just be a good person and always be there for other people. And, and, you know, so it's not far from who I try to be. And I love playing that role. But then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what about what's going on with you to be able to write for that character? That, that moment when I'm, when I'm in the doctor's office, that's mm-hmm. one of the most, one of the most beautiful moments I think that I've had. Um, as an actor, I might have had some great, 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 great opportunities. I've been you so and Amanda lucky. are tremendous in that scene together. Thank you. I mean, it's, but when I'm in the office with the doctor too, and he mm-hmm. tells me, and I'm like, and, I, and it's documentary too. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, what, what? And it was, yeah, yeah. and they, st- he stayed on me. I think it was Larry that directed that episode and he stayed on me and just pushed in. I, I mean, I, I was just, it was very, it was very moving. It was a great opportunity to do something. And I was learning, you don't understand. Felicity was my acting education. Sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I was in, I was Tom Sawyer in, uh, you know, in elementary school and, and I was Colonel Purdy in Tea House of the August Moon. And I, I've, I've done, all, <laughs> done these things, but to, to, you know, when I remember the first day on set, um, remember I'm a guest star. I'm not a regular. So I'm first day on set and, uh, JJ's like, all right. So they're living in your place and you're upstairs and someone stole your idea book. That's my introduction to the show is coming downstairs yeah. going, where's my, where's, there's a little black thing. Where's my idea book? I write them. Yeah. And so, which is such a great thing. Anyway, I come downstairs. Now I have not seen the show. They've done a couple of episodes, but I have, I don't think that was the pilot. It was, it was right. It was a couple episodes in, but, or maybe it was the pilot. Anyway, I, I come downstairs. Now I haven't watched the show. I don't know what tone it is. I'm kind of hanging out on set, but I'm having a good time. I come downstairs and I'm like, Hey, where's my idea book? Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. I mean, I am on a different show, man. <laughs> And, and JJ comes up to me and he's like, okay, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, you just, you're on a different show. I've had JJ tell me that. I've had Jim Brooks tell me that. 
Uh, I mean, Jim Burroughs, Jim Burroughs told me that on, on a sitcom where it's just like, you know, you just get excited. You get amped up and then you realize, Oh, you know, like I, my scenes with Speedman to this day, I'll give him shit for it to this day. He, Oh, every, every scene, by the way, every scene in Felicity starts with, can I talk to you for a second? Every scene. I mean, it's always that, right? And then, then you start talking. But Speedman, I swear to you, it was, we were this far from each other. And I'm like, I can't hear you. I do. I can't hear you. He does speak very low. Oh my God. And that is, you know, an actor. He's so good. He's trying to be very real and very grounded, but you know, you don't have to project, but I mean, people speak and I give him, I give him crap for it all the time. And, uh, and it was, but, but learning from him. I mean, talk about a guy who just has it, doesn't have to put anything on. He is just, you can't, he's captivating. Carrie, oh my God, like Carrie Russell. I learned more from Carrie and from Foley and from all of them, but Carrie especially, uh, she she was given these blocks of dialogue. Yeah. And uh, by the way, somebody just sent me um, with everything going on with the pandemic and, and uh you know, George Floyd and everything with, yeah. with all of that. Somebody sent me a picture of Carrie with the tape recorder in the silhouette of the window. And it says, dear Sally, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I just thought that is just That's so amazing. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, um, I would, I learned so much from Carrie, a huge block of dialogue, right? And she would, she would go through it and I'm standing there on set. It's a scene with me. And, and then I'd be like, and I'd, and then be like, cut, that was great. It was on her side, right? And yeah. then I would, I would look at my sides and say, man, she improv that whole thing. And I'd look, nope, word for word. I mean, how do you feel when you write something? Honestly, let's talk. Yeah. And, and, and an actor will, you know, it's sort of paraphrase what you've mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. But what actors don't realize, experienced actors get it, but, but actors that are relatively green or, have that ego before they get bumped down, which every actor does, you know, and it's like, Oh, they've been humbled. Sure. Is they don't realize that at that, that the writer's room and now having been in a writer's room and, and sure. down the other side, there is a rhythm. These, the, the words are, are surgically removed. Like it's like, well, no, you know, it'd be funnier if it was this and then take that out. And you know, everybody's like, Oh, comedies and thirds. I mean, the threes. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But that, but it goes so deep. That, you know, to just brutalize the dialogue and, and just forget the rhythm is, is so, it's, it's such a slap in the face. And I know you'll, you would never say that. I mean, I, I will, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit because I see both sides of it. Um, you know, when you're on set and you have a actor come up to you and say, Hey, so this line, what do you think about me doing this to it or this to it? Um, you know, you can only be so precious to a certain degree because you do want it to feel lived in, right? Like you want the words to come out of the actor's mouth and feel lived Very in. Very well put. Yes. And that is, um, that is obviously one of Carrie's strengths, one of your strengths, which is that the, when the words come out of your mouths, whatever they are, they're believable, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I was on a, I was on a show recently, a firefighter show, Station 19, and there's a lot of technical dialogue and that stuff is clunky and it sounds like shit and it's not great. And yeah. actors trip over words. Everyone trips over words. Um, but when it's stuff like this with Felicity, where it's heartfelt and it's genuine and it needs to be earnest, um, yeah, you, you need it to feel, you need it to feel lived in. And, and that's, 
where that middle ground comes in, where an actor and a writer need to find that sort of Venn diagram of it all kind of singing. That, that's so true. And um, Jesse Alexander, Josh Reams, both of them, they give me sure. so much shit for doing this thing where <laughs> let's say the doctor says you have testicular cancer. I, my line is testicular cancer. That's my line. That's all I need to say. <laughs> but instead, sure. oh, and Jeff, Jeff, uh, Jeff Loeb. Oh my God. Loeb gives me so much crap for this to really hit the emphasis. And it's a crutch. Every actor has a crutch, right? My crutch is repetition. I'll be like, testic, wait, testicular, testicular cancer, testicular cancer. Like you're like, <laughs> Dude, why did you just say the line four or five times? <laughs> just say it. It doesn't get any more important every time you say it. And it's just that I love watching people process. I love the, you know, the, the process. We, we, we don't, none of us really speak in complete sentences most of the time. And, you know, so to, to have that thing where it's, you're trying to say something and you're trying to understand the gravity of it. And I just love that. And it's, and, uh, but I tend to do that and I watch it back. We had an actor on Felicity. Ooh, uh -huh. I am not naming names. <laughs> yes, we had uh -huh. a couple people, man, that just, they're, they're really funny, uh, things that actors did. And there happened to be on that show that I remember so well. One, uh, okay. The, the, first, the crutch sure. this guy did this. I don't know why he did it. It's crazy. <laughs> but he would look at me, uh, he'd be in the scene, or, or yeah. Speedy, or whoever is seen this, and he'd be like, hey, man, you know, by the time that I got here, the subway was was crowded, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't get to, to where I needed to be on the time that I needed to be there. And you're like, where are you looking, man? <laughs> Every time. And it was just almost like he had cue cards over oh, here. And I've worked man. with people that have cue cards. You know, yeah. older actors, they whatever. This, this guy would look off every time. So what did the editor do? Cut it out. Yeah. And he shines. I mean, you watch this episode and you, you go, wow, what a, I mean, yeah. this guy is locked in. Yeah. Does it blink? And you go, wait a minute. If you only saw all the stuff that's on the floor. This I mean, that's, that's the other part of this whole process that we do uh, in television, movies, whatever. But like editors, they'll just, they save you every, they can, they can save a performance. They can save a scene. They can save writing, a directing. And, and, and by the way, not just editors, it's you and JJ and Matt. I mean, really, it's, they are brilliant in the editing room. Not only sequentially, I mean, sure. you guys can, you know, I, I, it must be so exciting. It's exciting for me. I would say you guys, I've done it where, you know, you, <clears throat> you look and you go, wait a minute, hold on. What if we take this moment, move it up? And then, and then suddenly you're like, wait, that has so yeah. much more meaning. Yeah. Or, I mean, I'm going to use Star Wars as an example, which is ridiculous, but I'm going to, um, <laughs> There's one of my, one of my, Listen, you can, so that's because I cool. can't. Exactly. I'm sorry. Let me, I dropped something. Yeah. There it is. Um, where, uh, in the force awakens where, where Boyega is fighting and, and he, they need help. And then all of a sudden we, Oscar and, and us, we come in and we save the day. Right. So it's mm -hmm. like, and, and Boyega's like, that guy can fly or whatever. Yeah, he said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was never supposed to be a surprise attack. We shot for two days of us getting in the, in the X wings and prepping and then taking off and dialogue in the, in the, you know, in our, in our uh, plane and our ships and all of that got cut. Well, I had a line in there where he goes, all right, everybody ready? Here we go. And then he goes, all right, let's go to light speed. And then I said a line that should be on a t-shirt that is so great. And I go, is there any other speed? 
And she's like, what? There's your that's line awesome. right it's there. Awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. Awesome. But they had to cut that whole sequence. Sure. Um, I had the th- same thing on Lost. I had this great Emily DeRaven and I had this amazing scene prior to getting on the plane at the airport at a cafe. Ken Olin directed cut because Hurley's running through the airport and sees numbers yeah. on jerseys and whatever. So you need, you know, there, there are reasons for things. Yeah. Um, but, but getting back to Felicity, like Felicity, and it was early in my career, but it was something I w- I'm so proud of the work that I did on that show. I am, uh, beyond proud. Like it got more, uh, my career, the things I was dealing with, not gimmicky, but there were, there were so many more, th- so, so the importance was put on so many other things rather than those small moments and small sure. dialogue. And when you can really make people lean in, Mm-hmm. With, with dialogue and situations and care and love you so much. I mean, cutting her up, you're going to cut someone's hair and the nation's going to go crazy. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it's, I mean, this is a testament to, and, and it, it does tie into what you're saying. You know, the show really leaned into the smaller moments. It allowed itself to take time. It had air in it. It allowed people to sit in scenes. You know, you, you talk about Star Wars, you talk about Lost. I mean, alias. All wonderful things, which I love to death, obviously. Um, but they're also dialed up, right? Everything is at like these crazy high stakes. This show, it's about the high stakes of real life, of coming of age, of, of figuring out who you want to be. Um, and you can see Felicity in everything that they do since. You know, I was, I was lucky enough to work with, um, Alex Kurtzman and Bob Orsi on Sleepy Hollow and oh, yeah. who obviously worked with JJ many times, but it was always, as you said, it was always about character. It was always about that sort of that, that groundedness, um, that kept it alive. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, I talked with Alex a fair amount about Cameron Crowe and you can see his, you can see him in Felicity. You can see him in a lot of the things that, that JJ and Matt and Bob and Alex and all these people have, have worked on. And, and it's that ballast. It's those yep. bearing walls that allow them, the shows to continue to live on. I mean, I'm currently rewatching Alias with my roommate, uh, cause it just went up on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I've seen it many times before, but it's amazing how well these shows hold up. I know. Um, and they and hold they, up they, because they, of they don't all hold up. I got to say, I introduced yeah. my kids to Pretty in Pink the other night. They didn't mm. like it. <laughs> Dude, I loved Pretty in Pink. I was like, this is, there's no small moments. There's no small performances. I mean, she's great and, and yeah. Cryer's great. They're just, but, but I, I don't know why I was like waiting for something to happen. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. But then you go, you watch Felicity and they're same still small little moments. I mean, she's in class and she's yeah. Ben and blah, blah, blah. But but the, the it, they they just seem more important. I don't know. I don't know why. But you're right. Yeah, it's a, but it's 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 a, it's a testament to. I mean, Matt Reeves' beautiful direction of the pilot, the visual language that he gave to the show, which made it very filmic. It made it very inviting. It's very autumnal in its colors. It's all very. Everyone's wearing sweaters. Everyone looks yeah. very cozy. It's a very cozy yeah. show. Yeah, um, yeah. And all of that allows for it to feel just a little bit more, you know, welcoming. Um, but since I mentioned Alias, I wanted to ask you, you know, in 2001, you start doing double duty on Felicity yeah. and Alias. Yeah. Um, what was it like juggling those two shows? I imagine they were very different shows, but yeah, they were. I mean, but, but, um, 
and yeah, and the thing is, at the time, I never thought that I just didn't put it together. I'm an idiot. I didn't put together the fact that, oh, Felicity, college, four years, and we're done. Like, I didn't think, oh, that would be great. <laughs> like, this is going to yeah. go on. This is going to go on forever. Michael, Mary Tyler Moore. Like, we're going, <laughs> yeah, going forever. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, uh, so I wasn't thinking that as an actor now, I'm like, I will, I will work until this mule cannot even, you know, <laughs> Take a breath. I'm on that mule. Um, and at that time, I, it wasn't my choice to leave or, or to, to do both. But JJ being the greatest friend in the world and saw, you know, a great character, he just started with, you know, and by the way, the stages were next to each other at Disney because it was oh, both cool. ABC Disney shows. So I would literally, I'd be doing Sean. I'd be doing this thing, this scene. And then I would, I didn't even go back to my trailer. I would change on the set because they're waiting for me over here. I'd put the suit on or whatever and then walk in there and there's Terry O'Quinn and, you know, and, uh, yeah. and, and everybody and, and, you know, uh, Kevin Weissman and I have a little jokey job. And then, you know, um, Mandy crossed over as well, you know, and so it was, it was so great. Now you have to understand at that time, I think it was during that time too. I was also shooting a movie called The Hollow Man. Uh-huh, sure. So classic. Classic. <laughs> so I'm dealing with Matt Reeves, JJ Abrams dream. I mean, Victor Garber and Carl Lumley and, and uh-huh. Jennifer Garner and, you know, everybody, Vartan and I, I mean, just the dream, dream. And then, and the cast was awesome with it, but then I'm going over and I got Paul Verhoeven over at Sony. <laughs> I mean, it was, and I'm a young actor, yeah. man. It was just incredible. And you know, when it rains, it pours. I mean, how many times have you had, Hey, Phil, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? But at the same time, as an actor, it doesn't usually happen that way. And it was, uh, so early in my career that I was like, wow, is this the way it's going to be all the time? I'm going to have three jobs, three big, great jobs. Nope. That's not the way it happened. <laughs> well, I mean, it must have been, I mean, Verhoeven, I've heard stories. I can imagine that must have been quite the, quite the set to be a part of. Plus that was a very special yeah. effects heavy sh- shoot as well, I'm assuming. So I yeah. mean, it, it was, uh, I really kind of night and day, three very different things that you're doing all at the same time. Um, so, you know, with Alias, it was, you know, it was obviously more of an action show and you were involved in some of that action. Um, yeah, but I was also like you were referring to what we call laying pipe earlier, where you're just like, all right, here are, I mean, I'm here. I'm going from, you know, uh, Ben, just, will you just hold the, the thing, please? What are you doing? Like, what, what, what's going on? Hey, talk to me. No, what's going on? You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden I got to go in here and go, all right. His name is uh, Abu Nube, and he's part of a terrorist organization that's been. And you're like, what's going on? And then, and then, and then I got to go and work with an invisible green guy on 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 Sony, the Sony lot, you know, and pretend and Josh Brolin and Lisa Shu and all these. It was a weird. It was a crazy time to balance all that stuff. But again, it was it was a dream. But you're right. Three very different projects, but. In all of them, I'm kind of like, you know, the best friend type guy, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. It's true. It's true. So, you know, I, I know my limits, man. Well, um, working to your strengths, I think yes, is the way to exactly. look at it. Not limits, strengths. All right. I'll take that. <laughs> so one of the, one of the other things that they do on the show that I love is they really kind of use Sean as an agent of chaos whenever they can. Um, they really try to make him sort of shake things up. Um, uh, if it's, you know, his documentaries or if it's getting in Ben's head about Felicity at the top of season two, um, did you enjoy fucking with people, even if oh it was? <laughs> Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Like, I want to be the guy who's going to stir the pot. The no yeah. question. And that's, that's always, it was, it's, it's kind of the Lucille Ball, you know, the I love Lucy, like just getting in. I was always like, uh oh, what is, what is, 
there's never what you see is not what you get. There's always an angle with that guy. And, uh, and you know, I, I hope to think that Matt and JJ didn't think of taking that from real life, but, um, (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't that guy, but I am today, today with charity. I got to say, um, epilepsy, our oldest son is epilepsy, right? So I do a lot of work for the epilepsy foundation. And, um, I started talkaboutit.org and all this stuff Mm -hmm. to do this, to raise awareness. You got to enlist the help of, you got to use celebrities. Sure. You gotta be, sure. So whenever I call people now, you know, I'm like, Hey, what's going on? I called Efren Ramirez. I'm doing, you know, or, or, uh, I just talked to Boyega cause he's doing this thing. And he's like, what do you want? And I'm like, no, <laughs> man, no. And, and they're not talking about it in a bad way. They know it's going to sure, be sure, sure, It's sure, going to be something sure. fun, but I've become that guy. And that's very Sean, you know, where it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, JJ, I'll say something to JJ. I'm like, dude, I have this idea for this thing. Not, not a creative idea, not TV or film, but. He'll be like, what is this thing, and he'll be like, what's what, what's going on? Just tell me what's going on. I go, no, dude, it's no, 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 it's just this. And he goes, no, no, it's never just that. You know, there's worse things. And listen, people are answering the phone. That's the important part, right? That they're, is they're the important that's, part. That is the important part. Yeah. So that's something. So in uh, so in season one, you mentioned you're a recurring character. Season two, you become a full cast member, which yeah. is. You know, that's a big deal. Um, I imagine you must have felt very, I mean, considering how perhaps, I mean, it is scary to be an actor on any television show, but when you're in a recurring place and obviously you hope to become a guest actor or or become a, uh, uh, you know, a full-fledged cast member, what was that like? Did you feel like there was an onerous component to it? Did it feel a little scarier or were you just sort of like, I got this and, and I know what I'm doing? Yeah, I mean, it was more relief than anything as far sure. as job security was concerned. But more sure. than that, it was also validation from the network. A, a, a showrunner can't do that. That's not something that a showrunner can immediately say, I'm making you a, he's yeah. not, he, or he or she are not writing that check. So, you know, JJ and Matt can put me in and, and like I said, you know, uh, I can be that, that funny levity or the thing. And then all of a sudden to, to get that stamp of approval from the network means, and they don't even, you know, they're doing what the audience is responding to. So clearly it's like, okay, we really see value in this guy and the show wouldn't be the series regulars, man. It's all about the fat. So if, if, if you are fat in any way, not fat, like fat, fat, fat um, they're not going to use you. So to know that, okay, the show, it wouldn't be the same without this character. That's why they're going to do it. There's so many times when, and I'm sure you've experienced this with JJ and, and myself. It's like, and Matt too. It's like, JJ's like, oh, I would really, really want you for this. And then the network is, goes, um, yeah, okay. And then they, they, because they know your friends, they try and pay you nothing and they take advantage of that relationship. And then they also, um, are like, well, he's not going to go anywhere else. I mean, that's it. So you take it or leave it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the friend, you know, so JJ and I have always done this thing where he says to me, I want you as a series regular, go out and get another job first. We need right. to threaten the network for right. it to be fair. Because if I say to the network, make him a series regular, they'd be like, all right, so we're going to give you a shitty deal and you can be a series regular. We know we right. love you and everything, but at the same time, we don't have to, so why would we? So you have to threaten them. And I remember, I can't tell you what project it was, but every year since then, I've booked the <laughs> pilot, you know, and I, and then, and then for people that aren't, that aren't savvy or, or know about this side of the businesses, actors and writers, you're locked into that show. They want your full attention. Yeah. So, you have to commit to that show and only that show. So when you come to them and say, Hey, there's a comedy that wants me over here. I booked a pilot. I have to let them know. Then their counter is no, we want you. We'll give you a contract. And that's what, that's what ended up happening. 
It's funny you bring that up because positioning is what, you know, for people that aren't uh, aware of what's going on in this industry, you know, you have various positions, even as an actor, as a writer, whatever the case might be. And I think that, you know, as this pandemic hopefully starts to go away, the industry starts to get back up and running again. I think you're going to see positioning becoming a very big deal, <laughs> which Absolutely. is what things people have and where they are is going to become problematic. A lot of lawyers are going to get a lot of money over the next couple of years. Yeah, for Sure. And, and also, I think um, it's it's going to be harder for all of us because they're going to say, take it or leave it. I mean, yeah, for everything. You know, yeah. yeah. They're like, look, there's so <laughs> few projects. I mean, although there are a million projects. So we'll see how we'll it pans see. out. Yeah. But yeah. You know. um, so one of the other things that I think you've alluded to this, but I want to kind of unpack it a little bit more. It's a wonderful ensemble that you have that you had on this show. Uh, you can feel the fun and the camaraderie. Mm-hmm when you're watching it. Um, and from all accounts, it sounds like you were a really big part of that in terms of sort of making it feel like a family. Um, yeah. You know, it's an emotional place, TV sets, a lot of personalities, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of stuff going on. Um, so how did you, you know, how did you juggle some of that? And how did you try to kind of bring that kind of uh, component to the set of Felicity? Well, I mean, it's for me, even though I was number seven on the call sheet, um, I remember that number because that's, that's where I want to be all the time. I've had opportunities, I've had opportunities to be number one, a lot of opportunities to be number two. Um, number seven is so comfortable. If you can be the sixth, seventh, fifth, sixth, seventh, uh, series regular on a show, man, what a dream. Yeah. For um, writers and the last show I was on, we were like, uh, supervising producer is the best place to be. It's the yeah. most amount of money with the least amount of responsibility. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, but as far as, um, the, fam- the family aspect of a show and how yeah. all the, the, um, the, you know, all the personalities blend together, it always starts at the top always. Sure. Sure. And it, and it, it, with the success of a show, it always starts with the, the top actor. Yep. Sometimes, you know, showrunners will just, you know, that's look, call me down when there's a problem. I, I, <laughs> this thing, this, this ship's running so well, you know, let's just keep it going and I don't want to be involved, whatever. And then, you know, the, the writers will have to, you know, the, the writer on set or whatever, but we were so lucky. Um, Carrie Russell is just absolute joy. I mean, she is, she's so incredibly prepared. So cares about everybody's performance, everybody's life, who they are. She's so sweet and so professional though. So you, you, there's no fucking around. Like you better know your shit. She's bringing it. So she, she creates such a high level, but not in a demanding way. Sure, just sure. the fact that she leaves it on the field. It's like, it's yeah. like playing with a pro athlete. You better have your A game ready and not in a pressure way again, but just be prepared to have fun. Don't yeah. be scared. Don't, you know, when an actor gets, um, has a, uh, you know, a bad day or is taking it out or, or being problematic or a diva or what it's because they don't know their character. They don't know their lines. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it comes down to that. But Carrie was just, she set the tone. Um, Jennifer Garner. Oh my God. Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? Like yeah. those two, the best of the best of the best. We had the same thing on heroes and, and, you know, in, but, but heroes was like eight different shows. I had my own yeah. show on heroes. I would be caught <laughs> half with a lot of people, you know, but we very, very lucky. And it just makes for a great set. I remember, um, when, um, John Ritter, you know, was on the show and John at, at, at that time, um, he was, I don't think he had done sling blade. I, I'm not just sure exactly what he had done. I mean, he'd done a ton of things. He was huge. He was yeah, John Ritter. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, it was like, I remember not many people, they were like, oh, that's, that's that guy, John Ritter, right? Not, holy crap, that's John Ritter. The way yeah, I read yeah. 
I was like, yeah. Oh my God. And we were shooting at a restaurant on Hillhurst and, and, uh, and I remember he needed, he parked way down. They didn't have a van for him. I picked him up or maybe they did, but I picked him up. I was like, Oh my God, Mr. Ritter. He's like, John gets in the car. I'm like, Oh, I'm driving with John Ritter. <laughs> and it's guys like that, guys like Henry Winkler, seasoned actors that I've worked with over the years that you immediately see that. And I'm the same way. I try my best to be. I really, really do. I love the crew. I love that, that. You know, we're, yeah. we're, it's summer camp. I mean, it's ridiculous yeah. what we get to do. So really I appreciate every moment of it. And I always try to make guest stars feel welcome. I always, you know, immediately I will get on a set. And I remember again, I'm going to go back to the Star Wars card because it's, <laughs> I'm talking about like a situation where I was incredibly intimidated. I worked with Al Pacino last year. I worked with, I worked with Lady Gaga last year. They're all the same way. They, they immediately just, Take all the nerve and, you know, the nervous energy or whatever. Just take it out of the room. It's like, it's not necessary. It doesn't work for anything creative. So, you know, Al, Al Pacino like says something like makes fun of, of some, a line that I said. I'm like, Oh, here we go. I give it back. I'm giving shit to Al Pacino. I'm giving shit to Carrie Russell. I'm, I'm giving shit right. to, you know, we're fucking with each other. Like it's the way it has to be. Yeah. And, and that only comes when you're prepared, but it's it, it, again, these are the act in shows. It's, there's a level of comfort that you all have to have with each other. And there's a safety net, right? There, there has to be moments. I mean, I had the biggest safety, one of the biggest safety nets I've ever worked with is, is Amanda Foreman. I mean, I, you know, and, and, oh my God, Amy Joe as well. But, but I remember Mandy and I had some great, great stuff and to be able to make myself just be willing to put myself out there and be as vulnerable as possible and know that she's going to go right there. And if it doesn't work, she's going to somehow make it work with her next line. Like she'll, her right. reaction is going to save me. And so, you know, you know that I mean, it's like an actor, you're saying some dialogue, but it's on me. And that's, that's me making your performance better. That's, that's, I'm staying alive in the moment. You know, I'm not this guy looking away. Looking or, away. and I'm sure you've had this too, actors that when the camera is not on them, they're not yeah. giving you the support that you need. Yeah. My and line. That yeah. is the worst yeah. because then it's just, you're, you're not. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and you have nothing to play. Yeah. Like I, I only learned the words, right? Last night I looked at my lines, my sides. I knew, I now know the words and I know the yeah. order that the words are in and I know where I want to get to emotionally, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. So if I, if I, if I'm, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then all of a sudden you give me a reaction and you do something fresh. And, oh man, that keeps it alive. And now I'm trying to get to where I need to be, but I've got to work with what your emotions are. And that's a beautiful scene. And we had so much of that in Felicity. That's, that is a, uh, that is lovely and rare. <laughs> so, yeah. um, having, having been on a, a handful of, uh, of sets and, and what have you, it is, um, it's, it, it can be disappointing sometimes when you're in situations with actors that aren't willing to give it their all and, and you don't have that camaraderie. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting because from all of this fun and camaraderie that you're talking about comes confidence and with confidence comes the best performances and everybody, if everyone is confident, everyone is giving you their best. Yeah. And that's, that's what you can only hope for. And, and by the way, it happened time and time and time again. I look on IMDb and I forgot about all the great actors that came through the Felicity revolving door. And, uh, 
I mean, this it's guy, incredible. there's one guy who was, he was, he was there for a long time. Um, and, uh, and it's Ian Gomez. And I, I just like Ian, uh, he was taking such a chance with this flamboyant yeah. character, yet it was so sweet and grounded yeah. and real. Yeah. And I mean, that's so hard to do. <laughs> it's like really, yeah. really hard to do because a lot of people will try things. It's great. It's like, all right, this is, this is a, you know, I'm taking, making a choice and I'm going to go down that. And a lot of times it doesn't work and you have to know, okay, if it doesn't work, I'm going to shift or whatever. Mm-hmm. But man, I mean, he, I just loved working with him and he surprised us all every time we worked with him. He's, he's tremendous on the show. And it is the one role that in lesser hands would not age well. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's the role that if you, you know, True. in 2020, you look at and you're like, really? But he, to your point, he imbues it with so much heart and so much sweetness that you're just like, well, I love this guy. Like, I can't not love this character. Yeah, and that is, yeah. that's the gift that, that Ian brings to the role. It's, it's yeah. really something amazing. Yeah. I agree. So do you have like a, a favorite storyline or a favorite moment or, or something from your character that you felt, um, that, that jumps out at you that, that sort of, I mean, you mentioned obviously the, the testicular cancer stuff, which was really powerful and very well done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 you had a lot of good stuff. They gave you, a, you know, they gave you a fair amount of meat, considering it could have been a character that that might not have got that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the my fondest memory of the show is just a a device that they gave me, and mm-hmm. this is this is the what made me lay into you on on Twitter jokingly. <laughs> um, yes. But you know, for for one character to be able to delve into uh, and go and and get some deeper emotion and 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 uh, knowledge about other characters is very rare. So mm-hmm. with documentary, I was able to do that. You know, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the lens. I'm, and I actually worked, you know, Mike May, Michael May, he was our camera guy. And I remember, you know, there was a union rules about me holding the camera. So actually Mike had to hold the camera and then I had to stand. It was like, I was riding a, on the back of his motorcycle. I was like standing there, you know? And so a lot of the times and we would cheat and I would be shooting. Sure, it sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But it was great to be able to have those really personal small moments. Um, and, not direct it, but there was a, there was a little bit more improv in that, in those moments. And I got to get a little closer to these characters and again, be the Sean, turn it off. What are you doing? Turn that thing off. I mean, be right. that pest, but right. know that I've got this brilliant. Oh my gosh. Like this is the, I'm going to win an Academy Award. <laughs> Sean <laughs> thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So documentary, like to me, but I, I don't yeah. have one particular moment outside of all the stuff I did with Mandy. I mean, that. Yeah. By far, you know, that was the, the stuff that I just loved so much. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, just anytime I had like real moments with Carrie, there was a great documentary moment that I had with her. I remember I asked her a question and she got really like, it's, I think it, I think it's in the first docu documentary episode where yeah. you're asking her about being in love with Noel and, and she gets really emotional and it's, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, we could talk for hours about how unbelievably talented Carrie Russell is. Yeah. Um, she, she really is that good, but it, it's, it's when, when she's she, on the show, she'll do the same for me. Don't worry. <laughs> well, here's hoping we get her on the show. That would be amazing. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but I do think that, uh, what she can do with a look is, is what's kind of perhaps the most impressive for yeah. me. And, and truly the whole cast does this. And this is something that the show leans into, which is the amount of emotion the show conveys without dialogue. The fact that it's just able to tell a story visually is also comes back to confidence, knowing mm-hmm. that your actors are going to bring their A game and that you don't need that line, that you're just going to see it in a look. 
is really incredible. Yeah. And, so. and, you know, today a lot of directors are doing, uh, just a, uh, a, I don't know if you call it a facial pass or a non dialogue pass. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've started doing it, um, recently. We did it on a couple movies and I, I did it mm-hmm. on Castle Rock, whatever. But it's like, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm shooting these things called the insiders, by the way, uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on, um, uh, Greg Grunberg channel on YouTube. Okay. But, um, wait, I partnered with, uh, with, uh, Warner Media 150 and my partners at uh, my production company, Diego Cantu and Brad Savage. But we're doing these little, uh, you know, like we use Zoom mm-hmm. and then it's turned into like kind of an SNL thing. Like we've done five pages or less, great writers. And oh, then nice. I direct them all and, and we, uh, have incredible actors. So go, go check them out. There's five of I them. I will. I'll check and, them for sure. Yeah. They're on, uh, there. And then we have three more that just got ordered. So, but what I've done is with that is, you know, you have somebody looking into a screen like you and I are doing right now and sure. you, can't, you can't cut away. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's really hard. You yeah. can, I can put you in a little box, you know, down sure. here sure. and that, but still you're there. So we've done this thing where, you know, and for people that don't know, I'll go through the whole scene, either the script supervisor or the director or someone will read all the dialogue mm-hmm. and you just kind of, <laughs> and, and you try and be as subtle as possible. Sure. But it's amazing in editing when you go, wait a minute, he just said it with his eyes. I don't have to see him say that. Sure. sure. You know, he's like, what? You don't have to say what? And the reaction, it's like, I saw it. I see it. And they, they, they let us, by the way, they let us breathe on that show. There was a room to, to, mm-hmm. They, they wrote it not sparsely because it was so brilliantly written, but they did re- write it where, you know, um, I'm going to give the actor the opportunity to relay what we want to relay through their eyes and through their emotion and yep. through, through, through not saying something and through listening. Listening is just as powerful as speaking sometimes. And so, you know, I mean, how, you know, how many times have you been at a, you're sitting at a dinner table, you're sitting somewhere and someone just, Doesn't speak, and all <laughs> eyes, all uh, eyes go to that person. Yeah, are, you, yeah. are you okay? I mean, it's like, well, yeah. that's much more powerful than someone going blah blah blah. <laughs> look at me, look at me. It's just like, you that's know, true. silence true. is is like, why? and commercials now. You see commercials, and you're you're just like, why is there nothing on screen? And you look. So, yeah, that's I, really funny. I, it's it's one of those things that you learn over the over the years. But I think that's that's. Uh, I don't think they've been doing that silent pass for very long. No, I mean, I, I honestly, you know, I've, I've had, as, as you know, we've had a lot of guests on here, a handful of writers and, and, you know, directors and what have you. And, um, we had a showrunner on recently and she was amazed. She, she showruns, uh, Roswell, uh, New Mexico. And she was just watching it, just being like, I could never get away with what they do on this show now. You know, there is no breathing room. It needs to be bang, 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 bang. There's, there's no air. Uh, and, and, and it's it's sad, really, that we can't yes. sort of have shows that allow themselves to exist in that space. But I, um, so I, I think, I ask yeah, you, but, yes, but right. I, I really, I gotta say, I think if it, the next show that does it, that'll be the new thing. Like, you know, it's all cyclical. It's like you know, you go, oh, okay, oh man, you should. They really sit with those moments. And but I agree with you. It's become. I don't know if it's short attention span. I don't know if it's the newer audiences. I don't know if it's because there's so many things out there. But it's true. It's like those, those quiet moments, those moments to breathe are important. 
They're so important. Uh, so I want to ask you one last thing uh, before yep. you go, which is uh, the toast that you gave at the uh, end yes, of, yes, of yes. the series. Uh, the, the, I guess technically the first finale. Uh, the yeah. finale that a lot of people feel is the real finale of the show. Yeah. Well, it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, which got fully directed. And so you gave a toast at Noel's wedding, um, which we as an audience don't hear. We just see everybody's reactions to your toast. Yeah. Um, so, you know, where did that come from? Was it just sort of you just sort of kind of, I don't want to say waxing nostalgic, but kind of going through the four years of what it was like being on this show and just kind of reminiscing or? Yeah. I mean, it started, I didn't have anything written. Um, and they told me that I was going to do this and I've learned actually from that moment and, and others like it, that it's better to just speak from your heart and not try and have things prepared. And, um, I really genuinely had such a strong love for everybody and there were quirks here and there, this person, that person, that's what makes, you know, a great family. And we really were that. We really were a family. It was weird. We were shooting that in the Scientology, uh, center, uh, ballroom. It was so that's bizarre. Weird. Yeah. That's weird. It, was, it was weird, man. We, they had the, we, why we were shooting that was just a location and we were there. But, uh, so that was it. But then when we were all there, it was like the scene from diner. And it was like that wedding moment. Oh, in of course. Diner. I just rewatched Diner the other, like about two weeks ago. I mean, yeah. it's fantastic. And yeah. so they did the same thing. And I didn't know that they were going to be doing it exactly, you know, really reminiscent of that where the, fa- the toast fades and then you just see the reactions. But man, I, I just remember going on and it wasn't like as fluid as it seems in editing, you know, when you sure. watch it. But I remember just standing up there and talk about silence. Like there were moments when I, I was like, Tangie, I, I, I don't know how to thank you enough for your friendship and, and, and this and that. And then she's just like, you know, when all of a sudden this ballroom becomes a confessional, man, it's like, yeah. I were just there so close. And I'm like, Robbie and then Speedy, dude, if you did the thing one more time with the thing, if you, you know, thanks yeah. for taking a shit in my trailer, man. That was, and then everybody's just like laughing and it's just. Yeah. It was just those, mo- and, and by the way, selfishly, man, did I get a great opportunity because we did not have a rap party, a proper, we didn't know, we didn't know yeah, what's going yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, that's happened a couple of times in my career. Like f- heroes went off the air. We're like, we're going to get seven more years. What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> and, and Felicity, we didn't know that was going to be really the, like you said, you know, the, yeah. the finale. So it was, it was a great opportunity for me to really tell everyone how much I love them. And, uh, and, and when you talk to a lot of actors on the show that were there, they, th- it really meant a lot to them. And looking back, it's something that they all remember how I roasted them a little bit and how, how much I, <laughs> I shared. And I went around the crew too, you know, and, and it was just great. It was so great. You don't get it's, that opportunity. I mean, it- <laughs> it's it, it's it's a really lovely moment um and it 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 really kind of caps the show whether it was intended to be a cap or not on the show uh it yeah. really does feel that way um well i i can't thank you enough for doing this i i, I really do appreciate it no i can't thank you enough for doing this i i don't know uh you you're, you're doing it so beautifully like you're really honoring the show you really take it as and, and because you are a pro in the business you're taking it as seriously as we took it or as far as you know, not serious, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. as important as it was to us back then, it really resonates. I, I have my prouder moments are when people come up to me and say, my daughter was at college or I was at college and this really got me through and I'm watching it again. And also what you said is that this show holds up. I'm so proud to be part of that. That's JJ and Matt um, and everybody else behind the scenes, all the writers. Um, 
they just did such a great job. I'm so lucky to have been part of it. And, and they really captured me. I wish it wasn't so close to home with my ideas. My ideas are smart. They're great. They're great. Anybody want to buy any fruit? <laughs> Thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.